Hey, thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good? Hey, let's just do something real fast. Big, deep breath. Big, deep breath. You made it. The kid made it to school last week. May not matched. May not been a perfect situation, but you're still here, right? And you're breathing, and God's still speaking. And really today, that's what I want to have happen. I've been thinking about this all week long, about this series. I'm excited about our new series. I'm not going to tell you it's my new favorite series. It's one of, one of many of my favorite series here. But I really feel like we need to somehow or another allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us in real ways over the next three weeks. Um, we're going to talk about the family. Um, we've titled it The Fam because I know so many people. How many people have iPhones? If you have an Android, you're fine. You can stay. Like, you don't have to leave or anything. Um, um, perfect church for imperfect people. And so, but, um, and I don't know that you can do this on an Android. So, like, just I apologize in advance for my stupidity. But, like, on my phone, if I pull up my text message, um, I have little things that I pin at the top. And they're, they're all, they're the most important people to me. Um, the very first one is my wife, Gina. Um, I won't tell you what the title of that one is. Um, and then I have my kids, because um, I, I love most of my kids, so they're up there. And then I have a group called The Bullpen. Um, that's all my guy friends. That's all the guys that I hang out with, I do life with here at Journey, and just, it, we're good friends. And then I have my, my community group, my, it's Appling Community Group, and that's the people I do do life with, like... Uh, every couple of weeks, we get together, we, we study God's word, we eat together. We eat together a lot. And then I have Alan. Um, but you know what I've realized? These are the most important people in my life. Um, I would have my entire fam on there, but I have a rogue son-in-law that has an Android. And if you have an Android in with all the other apples, you can't title it, nor can you turn it all into blue. It's, it turns green, and that's... That's the devil's color, I'm sure. But for the next several weeks, what we're going to be talking about is the family. And I don't care if you're a grandfather or grandmother or a husband, wife, whatever you are, everybody, and I'm going to say this up front, everybody's part of a family, and it's God's family, and that's a great thing to be in. But we're going to try to talk about the nuclear family as much as it's changed over the last, you know, 40, 50, 60 years. I was watching a special, Harry Connick Jr. was on it, and I love listening to his music. His music's amazing, not just his Christmas stuff, but his everyday stuff, and just a shameless plug. He actually has one with a bunch of hymns on it right now. It is spectacular. But he was being interviewed, and he said, what, you know, the, the person interviewed said, what is your greatest accomplishment? What would you say is your greatest thing that's ever happened in your life? And without even question, without even kind of a, a stutter or anything, he pointed to his wedding ring, and he said, this right here, this is my greatest achievement. He said, as a matter of fact, it's not an achievement, but this is the greatest thing in my life. He said, this represents everything that's right in my family, everything with my, my, my marriage, with my kids. And every time I think about and look at my ring, I'm thinking about that one thing. And I'm going to say something because this is going to be kind of one of those moments you just go, okay, are we going to, we're going to be really positive in this series, but I really feel like the family and marriages are under attack. And you can call it spiritual, you can call it whatever you want to call it. But I'm having more and more counseling with, with struggles. I don't know if it's PTSD coming through COVID. I don't know what it is. 
But it, it just seems like we've allowed the enemy somehow or another to attack our families, attack our marriages, and, and it, it's kind of troubling to me. And so that's why I feel like this series is so important that we take notes and we inst- and just instill some of these things in our family. And, and I'm not the only one that thinks this. Um, there's actually a lady that um, I follow. I'm not a big fan of hers, but I like her perspective sometimes. Her name is uh, uh, Caitlin F- uh, Flanagan. And you've probably heard her. You've seen her on probably liberal talk shows. And she is a strong pr- 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 proponent for what they call now is the sexual mores. And it's everything outside of the, the traditional biblical view of what sex is. So anything more. But she said something. She said, and, and, and it struck me in a really, really weird way because she says, she goes, what's really a fallacy is we used to say all the time that it takes a village to raise a family. How many people have heard that before? It takes a village. And she says, no. As a matter of fact, that's the antithesis of what's happening right now. She said, I'm trying to protect my kids. She says, I'm a mom first. And the village is dangerous. The village is toxic. And I'm going, oh my gosh, here's somebody that's on the far left, the exact opposite that I seem to be at times, is going, something's wrong with our families. If you were ever to come and do a wedding with me, um, or if I did your wedding, there's a, there's a couple things I say about that ring, the one that Harry Connick Jr. talked about. And then I, I just want to kind of lay this out. One of the things I say all the time is it's a circle, right? It's a circle. And it reminds me of God's never-ending love for me. There's no beginning or no end. Somebody should say amen to that, that God's love for us has no beginning and no end. And we're supposed to represent that in our marriages. According to Ephesians chapter 6, that's what we're supposed to be. Another thing I say is this. Not that I need to be reminded, but every time I look at it, I'm reminded who I'm married to. That I'm reminded I go home to an amazing wife, I I got great kids, I got a really, really cool dog. I mean, it reminds me of my entire life. But just one part of it, and I'm going to say it today, and everybody's going to get a big chuckle and think that I'm talking about one thing, I'm talking about another. But I say, there's going to be some really hot moments in your marriage. And you know what I found out about, especially because like when I dress up, I don't wear the rubber ones that we have now. I wear, I think it's a titanium or white gold or something. But what I found out, in order to get the best metal out of that, they have to get it to the hottest temperature. And what happens is all the imperfections of the metal will drop out and it leaves the best metal. And so I say this, I said, there's going to be some hot times in your marriage. And everybody goes, like sixth graders. Because they think I'm talking about, it's pop-up Sunday. We won't say it. Sex. Right? But you know what I'm talking about? It's the arguments. It's when we don't get along. It's when we're fighting, when things aren't great. And unfortunately, I've seen more and more and more people just pick up their toothbrush and put it in another toothbrush holder instead of working on it. I can tell you this as a testimony Thirty-two years, we have come out better on some of those hot moments, those moments that we didn't know if we were going to, you know, it, like who's going to win this, whatever it was. And so today, I really want to kind of dive in to this family concept, and I want to talk a little bit more about just what we're up against as far as families go. Since two thousand, listen to this. Since two thousand, there's been a four hundred percent increase in the divorce rate and a two hundred percent increase of the number of children who are raised in single parent homes. Listen, that's not a finger point. That's not like your 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 second class. That's just a fact, and and that means there's some there's some breakdowns in our society. Eighty percent of uh, school age kids. So you, if you have kids, you send them to school. Eighty percent of school age kids are going home, and there's no parent at home for them. 
They're walking in the house and there's no mom or dad there. That doesn't mean they're not there. They have to, and it may be because of inflation. It may be because of, you know, maybe over, whatever it is, it's just they're going home to an empty house. I didn't know this, but approximately, approximately one-third of all weddings in America today form step families. So one-third form step families. Now, it, it sounds like I'm kind of ragging on this. Let, let, me, let, me, let me clarify. One out of every six. So remember when we used to clarify the family as something? The family was a mom, a dad, 2.5 kids. I don't know how they got that statistic. And then a dog, Right? And, you know, maybe your car had a house because you had a garage, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, now they're saying that only one out of every six people in the United States are that what would be considered at one point in time their, their traditional family. That means 84% of people, so 84% of us in this room, come from something other than that. Whether it was because of a divorce or it was because of a death or it was because of some sin or whatever, 84% are living in a different unit or a different family unit than what was the traditional values. Now, it sounds like we're hopeless, right? You can look at those numbers. You can hear those numbers and go, well, I got to tell you something. We just sang a song called Trusting God. When God's involved in something, there's always hope. And even today, as society is spiraling out of control, I still believe there's a God that we can hope in. There's a couple scriptures I want us to just kind of think through over the next week, maybe while you're doing your devotion. You can write these down today. You can kind of walk through them. But Psalms 40 verse 1 says this, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He turned to me and he heard my cry. Somebody say amen to that. That when I am flailing, I'm floundering and spinning out of control, I can turn to God. He says, he lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and he steadied me as I walked along. So if you feel like your family unit is less than whatever, there's hope. Here's another passage of scripture that I've been reading a lot lately. Psalms 46, one says, God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help. Not, he doesn't, he's not, not in the way, no way, he's always ready to help in times of trouble. Philippians 1, 6, you should memorize this one. This would be a great one. He says, I am certain, this is Paul, I am certain that God who has begun a good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Meaning this, our personal lives, our family lives, our marriages, they're not gonna be finished until the day Jesus comes back. So there's always room for progress, right? So that's a good thing. All right, so this is what. Let's establish first and foremost the ground rules for this. There are no perfect families. Everybody in the room said, if you're down at Sherwood, you better be saying amen. If you're online, even if you're by yourself, you better say amen. There is no perfect families. How many people have ever heard a guy named Winston Churchill? He made a, it's an epic, it's, a, it's an immortal words. He says this, we shall fight on the beaches. How many people remember this speech? We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets, and we shall fight in the hills. Um, it's interesting because one of my best friends told me this. He goes, that sounds like my family vacation. <laughs> all right, let's go all the way back to the beginning. All the way back to the beginning. Y'all remember Adam and Eve? Messed up, didn't they? The family units were messed. And right after they had kids and they got old enough, Cain and Abel were after each other. It's, it, it, it's, it's dysfunctional. All over. And then Cain killed his brother. Now, now, here's the deal. If that's the pinnacle of dysfunctional, all of us fall down here somewhere, don't we? Don't we? I'm a little worried there because you didn't jump, you know, jump to that one. Okay, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. If you know Bible stories, they're the three kids of Noah. Pretty cool event, right? He builds a boat for 40 days and all that kind of stuff. Right after they hit dry ground, 
Moses is drunk as all get out, and he's running around the cities naked, and Shem, Ham, and Japheth have to hide him. That's a little dysfunctional right there, right? Nobody in this room has ever done that, except for maybe July 4th, right? Brothers Jacob and Esau are bitter rivals. They're stealing each other, trying to get each other's birthrights. Joseph, y'all remember Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat? We love the story because it's a cool story. He was left for dead by his brothers. His brothers went home and told his dad that, that, that they, had been, they had been attacked um, uh, by, by a, uh, an animal or something. But in, 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 what he did was he sold them over to Pharaoh. Like, a little dysfunctional here, right? David, we just got done learning about David a couple weeks ago. Messed up with Bathsheba, had somebody murdered. Then on top of that, because of the, 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 the circumstances and, and the things that had to happen because of the, uh, the sin that he had, Absalom, his son, is chasing after him, trying to kill him everywhere he goes. I'm thankful that none of my kids want me dead yet. Hey, y'all know, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's, even Jesus' family thought he was a little nuts. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is healing. You need to read this. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is healing people. He's doing all the, he's doing the Jesus stuff. And, and you kind of get the picture, a painted picture, that the, the, the brothers or mom are sitting on the porch going, get him away from them. Just, come on, come on, come on, get over here. Because they were embarrassed at what he was doing because the town started talking. A little messed up. So even Jesus' family was a little jacked up. So this morning, what we want to do is I want to take a look at some of the snapshots of Jesus' life. Specifically, I've never heard, never thought through this until this past couple weeks. I want to see how Jesus learned from Mary and Joseph. Specifically, how Jesus in the family unit learned from Mary because he spent more time with Mary. So the very first thing I want us all to get, we can put this into our little, you know, our little book of this is how family, you know, healthy families Healthy families, if you want to be a healthy family, healthy families provide learning environments for each other. Like, it, there, there's learning environments. So Jesus learned from his parents, specifically Mary, but uh, at some point. But here's the deal. He came into the world. Do you ever think about this? Like, we love the deity of Jesus Christ. We love the fact that he's 100% God and he does all the Jesus stuff. But sometimes we forget that he was born. We even sing a Christmas song. Um, you've probably heard it. It says, the little Lord Jesus no crying, he lie. That's like the worst ever. Jesus was born. He cried like every other baby. He, 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 he needed to sleep. I, I, this is not like sacrilegious, but I believe Jesus probably had a blowout in his diaper at some point. I mean, it's, it was Jesus, I mean, I get, but it was 100% man. He had, to, he had to learn to eat, and like all babies, he needed to be changed. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk. He had to learn his letters and his numbers, and he had to learn all that kind of stuff. He did all that. Now, I don't know what bath time was like if he kept popping up out of the water. I don't know. I don't know, okay? Or, you know, he parted the, the tomato soup. I don't know what he did. But, but, but we need to get from the very beginning. Jesus was human, and he learned from his... His mother, Mary and Joseph, listen to what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 22. This is on the eighth day after Jesus was born, and they took him to get him circumcised, which was customary. And he says, then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses and after the birth of the child. So his parents, and if you have an analog Bible, would you underline it? It's, I'm reading from the NLT. I don't know what it says in other versions. But the word took, 
It says that, so his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And I started thinking about all the things we take our kids to. Right? Think about this for a second. We take them to baseball games because we think they're going to be a pro. Right? I'm not a, I, I used to be an athlete. Like I, I, I used to play baseball. My, my parents had me on two or three different teams. And here I sit in front of you. I never made it to the pros. Now, I want kids to have good, and they learn great. Listen, we, we, we take them to soccer stuff. We, we take them to, you know, whatever, band stuff. We, and, and all that stuff, this is not slamming any of it. But we should be taking our kids to church. Jesus was taken. The 100% man part of Jesus had to learn the natural stuff about faith. What better place? I, I love what we do here at Journey. I love student ministry. I love children's ministry. That's why I, I'm, a, I'm a huge proponent of all that. Because when the kids get up there, you know what they're learning about right now? They're learning about Jesus. They're learning about the things that are, in my opinion, the most important. Long after their careers are gone, there's still going to be this Jesus that's reaching out and calling out their name. And as moms and dads, maybe sisters and brothers now, for, for our grandparents, it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility. We can learn that from Jesus. Mary and Joseph created a learning atmosphere so they can learn things. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 39 says, When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements, they had done everything they were supposed to do. They, they, they did all the spiritual things of the law of the Lord. They returned home to Galilee. So from the very beginning, Mary and Joseph were making sure that Jesus had a strong connection to his faith. That, that, that Jesus, from the very beginning, the fo they followed the rituals. And I know that's a word that we don't, but they followed the rituals of, of, of Judaism to make sure that Jesus knew. And they presented him to the temple. And, and they taught him about the things of the Lord. That's important. We can't miss that when healthy families create an environment for that to happen. Let me give you the second thing. This is really important. Healthy families understand healthy boundaries. Healthy families understand Healthy boundaries. Let's fast forward to another snapshot in Jesus' life. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph are in Jerusalem with a large group from the community, friends and relatives. They're all going to Jerusalem. And on the way home, on the second day, on the way back, they can't find Jesus. What? Anybody ever lost a kid? Come on, raise your hand if you have. Don't be embarrassed. I did it twice. At church. Beat me. I was, I was up for Father of the Year up to that. I'm riding home from church one day. This is when we were at, at, at um, Lewiston Elementary School, and I get a phone call. Hey, Pastor Bobby. Hey, do you know where your kids are? Said they're with Gina. Nope. Where are they at? They're sitting on the curb with this woman at the school, and I'm all the way back home already. Father of the Year. You don't do that one twice, do you? Unless you're me. Same thing. I thought Gina took the kids home. I really did. I said, I, 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 like, uh, and I get the phone call again. Where's your kids? Uh -huh. Thought they were with you. So now what I do is I, ch I have a checkboard in my thing. Wasn't kid? No, I don't need them anymore. But. So, so, so Jesus is missing in action. Somehow or another, he gets lost on the way back from Jerusalem. Here's the funny thing. It took them three days to find him. Three days later, they all of a sudden, he pops up. 
Now, now, typically in those days, I'm going to give a little credit to Joseph, they would, they, would, they would travel in packs. So it wasn't uncommon that your kids may be with somebody else. So they just assumed probably that happened. So they're a little friend, they're running around. But when they found him, guess where they found him? In the temple. He was in the temple the whole time. Three days later, they find him in the temple. And this is what happens here. In Luke chapter 2, verse 48, it says, His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this? I bet you there was a lot more dialogue than this. Right? Like, is there, when you're reprimanding your kid, is it a dissertation or is it one line? Like, you're going, right? Okay. Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Now watch verse 49. This seems to be a slap in the face. It seems like Jesus is being cocky. Typical teenager. But listen to this. He said, why did you even need to search? Did you not in my father's house? I was, I was doing the things. That, do you remember when Mary was pondering in, his, in her heart when he was a kid? It was these moments right here. She knew that this moment was going to happen. Now, first of all, let's keep in mind one thing real quick. A 12-year-old back then is different than a 12-year-old today. 12-year-olds today, you got to tell to brush your teeth every morning. And take a shower. I've been a youth pastor. I know this. Back then, they were literally one year away from being an adult, accountable for themselves at 13 years of age. They were on their own. They would get their own house. They would start working their own career. So there's a little bit of this. It's just like, okay, I understand it's the culture. And I love Luke chapter 2, just the dialogue that happens in verse 51. It says, then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. You hear that? Obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. We saw that one other time, right? When she was sitting there when Jesus was born, ponder all that. And it says, Jesus grew. Watch this. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. That even the Son of God had to grow. Even the Son of God had to go. But it was because it was healthy, healthy parameters that were put down. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you remember the first time you allowed your child to walk somewhere by themselves? How did it make you feel? Uneasy, Right? I remember the first time I let my oldest drive somewhere by herself. This is long before the uh, 360 on the phone. Boy, would that have been a great little tool to have. No, you were not there. Right? Do, do, you remember, do you remember the first time that your child pulled his or her hand away from you? How did it make you feel? Now, I want to tell you something. Here's something. Here's the truth. Parents, we need to know this. At some point, we need to let our kids grow up. And I don't think it's 30. Right? Can I throw something out to, I see some teenagers. I see some people that want to be teenagers. Maybe this is for everybody, though. You know what it's called when we start doing that? It's, it's one word. It's called trust. And let me tell you something. Trust is earned. It's not given away freely. Trust is earned. And if you want to be trusted, do things that are trustworthy. That goes for everybody. But do things that are trustworthy. I don't know how many people remember Joe Paterno. He was a great football coach for the Nittany Lions uh, up in Pennsylvania. And a couple years ago, it came out uh, just a, a huge debacle. One of his coaches were, were having just um, just 
doing inappropriate things with, with the football team and players and all that kind of stuff. But it came out about six months after everything kind of unfolded that he knew about it. The irony of this is Joe Paterno is credited for saying this phrase right here. Trust is earned in drops and it's lost in buckets. And when it came out that he found out and, and people knew that he knew what was going on in buckets, he lost trust. So in your life, in our lives, in your kids' lives, trust is earned in drops. A little bit here, a little bit there, but at some point we gotta let their hand go. But I'm telling you, distrust is lost like that. All right, third thing. Healthy families listen to each other. Somebody say yes. Now here's the funny thing. I'm gonna throw something out. There's a little, a little Bible knowledge for you here. There's an 18-year period of silence from the time we see Jesus at the temple to we see his first miracle. Now I have a perfectly good explanation if his mom was anything like my mom. He was grounded till he was 30. Right? You got lost, grounded. Now that's, that's not it. There's actually a really good explanation for that, but I found it pretty interesting. Soon after the temple story, Joseph dies. And because Jesus was the oldest, he was now taking responsibility for his whole family. So there's a good chance, even God's infinite wisdom and his perfect timing, that he wanted to make sure that that family got through that critical point before Jesus started. So we pick up and we see Jesus in John chapter 2, and it's the story of the wedding at Canaan. And we see Jesus showing up for a wedding, and he's at the wedding. And this is the snapshot. He's at the wedding, and all of a sudden they say this. Um, Mary says, they're, they're, they're out of wine. Which you go, well, just go to Kroger. Just go to, you know, pick up another something somewhere else, right? Well, back then, it was a federal, it was a crime. And you could be put to death. It was an embarrassment at the very least that if you ran out of wine. And so now they're drinking water, which that doesn't get the party flowing, does it? So it's one of those deals where Mary says, and, I, and it's an amazing little dialogue here, that the wine runs out, all this stuff that happened. John chapter 2, verse 3. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mom told him, they have no more wine. Now, this also seems like Jesus is kind of smarting off. And it says this, dear woman, that's not our problem. At that point, I don't know, even at 30, my mom would have backhanded me. But that's not what's happening here. The dialogue, if you understand the original language, he's saying, it's not my time yet. What you want me to do is produce a miracle, and it's not my time yet. I, my, my, my father hasn't told me it's my time for public ministry. Now, watch this. This is what happens. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Verse five, but his mother told his servants, she didn't, she didn't even look at Jesus. See, how many moms and dads have done that before? That comment was so stupid, I'm not even gonna recognize that one, <laughs> right? So you look the other way and, he, she, and she goes, hey, whatever he tells you to do, you do. Now this seems to be kind of spiraling out of control and it's worse and worse and worse, but it's not. Jesus then tells the servants to go get the stone jars and go down and get water. In the meantime, when they're bringing the jars back, the water turns into wine. We know this is Jesus' first miracle. It's interesting to me. Nobody was healed. Nobody walked on water. He took, took, took water and turned it into wine. I get from this, John 10.10, 10, I want to have life and life to the fullest. That God wants us to have the fullest life. And it's not just about the big miracles. It's the little miracles in our lives at times. But watch this. Jesus understood at the moment that his father was speaking, his father was speaking to him through his mother Mary. Somehow or another, in this moment, Mary is an oracle of God. 
and saying to Jesus, listen, your time has come. Y'all do what he says to do. Jesus understood that that moment there was something special happening. Now I'm gonna tell you what happened. She saw in Jesus something that Jesus didn't even see in him yet. We have lots of responsibilities, lots of tough responsibilities, parents. And I'm looking at moms and dads and grandparents and all this. Our number, one of our number one things to do is to speak life into our kids and tell them in their lives what they may not know, what they may not see. I remember the time, the time my kids were small, I would hold them and I would, I would speak over top of them. You're gonna do this for God. You're gonna do this for God. You're gonna do this for God. 